0: podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at CypherCastNet.
1: Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott.
0: And I'm Dave.
1: We will be your guides along the Path of Suns. Today we sing My My Path Takes Me Strange Places, wherein we talk about locations you can find under the pale sun. Join us on the Path of Suns and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast My Path Takes Me Strange Places, we discuss the setting of Invisible Sun we turn to the Pale Sun and talk about the theme and locations present there as described in Teratology. So the Pale obviously represents kind of endings and death, and that's what people think of and associate most uh, with the Pale Sun. It's the place where ghosts reside, uh, where you go when you die, uh, at least in for some ways of dying. Uh, and we it is the... Pale invokes this notion of death um, and kind of and, and ghosts. So that's the most obvious representation.
0: Um, I think it's also important to note that it's not like finality. Right.
1: Because in some sense, the a- actuality does not even include finality, though we may revise that statement. We learn more about the labyrinth. But um, it is the ending of a cycle. Mm-hmm. So it's more a counterpart to silver, which is you know new beginnings. Um, this is endings, but just like new beginnings is not the last of new beginnings, this ending is not the last of all endings. Um, and similarly, death is not a permanent condition. We've talked before about uh, how PCs can die, become ghosts, still play as ghosts. And then possibly come back as uh, into their original forms. Uh, so it, while it is endings of an arc or a story, uh, it does not necessarily represent uh, f- final endings. Um, and this is a place people can travel to and return from, uh, though there may be restrictions on that to some degree. Those restrictions imply uh, a secondary theme that's not as obvious to everyone uh, in the context of uh, this kind of, of pale and its uh, themes. And that is bureaucracy. Uh, This is the sun that most emphasizes the existence of a huge set of rules and regulations that restrict behavior about getting into the sun, getting out of that sun, what you do within that sun, how authority is distributed across different locations within the sun and the like. So it's like a highly bureaucratized uh, version of our own world in that respect.
0: It's the only sun that I've read about embassies for.
1: I hadn't thought of that. That's that's true. Um, and it, because embassies imply a civil service, mm-hmm. uh, something we, we will return to in several episodes. But one of the best inspirations for this is the movie Beetlejuice. But not just the part where Keaton is chewing scenery, but the parts where, you, where the new ghosts start to learn that there's an entire set of rules of behavior and a whole new world that they have to understand that is uh, represented as uh, the waiting room of uh, almost like a medical or administrative office. Uh, but we'll talk more about that uh, later as inspiration. But that's, I, I suspect, where some of this notion of bureaucracy as a theme to the pale comes from
0: uh what other sort what other movie inspirations would you use for this have you have you read all the notes uh no i uh, (laughs) have okay what what else would you use as inspiration for the pale oh okay um
1: yeah i I hadn't connected those two uh b words yet uh but Ah. you mentioned
0: uh brazil notes then ah come on (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) <laughs> it took me a second to realize what you were going for. Um, that's a really good representation of bureaucracy, though it doesn't have an association specifically with death, uh, but certainly uh, a representation of what a bizarre, in this case, surreal bureaucracy can be like. Uh, and, and there's the inspiration we're
0: talking about now is
1: Brazil. Yes, the movie Brazil. Yes. Um, and uh, there, there's also inspiration in literature. Um, there's uh, some really great uh, uh, stuff by Kafka uh, that is really about the bureaucratic experience. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not all about giant insects. Uh, so there's a lot to draw from on, on the bureaucracy theme in addition to the theme of death and endings. Uh, the synthesis, I think, that might be most directly useful for inspiration um, is a game I've mentioned before uh, from the from White Wolf uh, in their uh, original World of Darkness called Wraith the Oblivion. In Wraith the Oblivion, the player characters play ghosts um, and they find uh, that the ghostly world in which they live is – highly bureaucratized. Um, there's a, a a lot of detail as to uh, which, which areas you're living in, the rules that you live in, uh, a very strict hierarchy. In fact, I think it's called the hierarchy uh, that enforces these rules. Now, in that case, the world of the ghosts corresponds roughly one-to-one with our own world. So there's a specific bureaucracy in Europe um, and uh, a, a different bureaucracy in Africa and a different mm. bureaucracy in Asia. And each of them has – each of them is their own kingdom with their own rules. And so it, it has this, this notion that we have in uh, the Pale Sun of there being different kingdoms that are ruled by these elaborate codes of conduct and uh, laws. Uh, but in Invisible Sun, it does not have to correspond to uh, Earth, so there are, while there are kingdoms, they don't have to be kingdoms of particular countries or uh, continents. Uh, they are just their own principalities. Uh, and they're mentioned in teratology, but they are not elaborated on really anywhere. So there is a tremendous room to develop what the bureaucracy and even the sort of the geography of power looks like in the Pale because it is an open canvas uh, from the uh, the material available to us right now for Invisible Sun. And even when the Enchidrian of the Way comes out, or Enchidrian of the Path, which shouldn't be too far off, uh, we'll have more information, I suspect, on the Pale, but I can't imagine that anything less than a full book would follow up on the elaborate setting implied for the Pale Sun of... Uh, disparate rules and principalities governed by varying uh, legal systems.
0: Now, there is the Empress of the Pale, right? Yes. So there is an overarching authority. The overarching authority, but then everything else is broken up sort of in a, uh, what is it, a medieval system?
1: Something along those lines, and, and you might okay. even be, uh, have different types of systems in different areas. Specifically, from teratology, it says that um, the sun is carefully divided into principalities, republics, kingdoms, and more. Uh, each of of their own set, each with their own set of sometimes Byzantine rules and regulations. So, just from that list, um, a republic is different than a kingdom, and will be ruled differently. A republic implies that authority resides with its people somehow within the context of this uh, 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 monarch of, of the dead, the empress Zalad, we'll say. Um, whereas other principalities are apparently kingdoms, which will have their own king uh, that or queen that is overseen maybe by the empress. But they will, as you can imagine, have authority distributed differently because they're a kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, principalities might be things more like territories that are, have very loose legal structures because they don't have f- this sort of formal control by a strong uh, you know, queen or uh, republican uh, form of government. So you, you could, it implies there's a great deal of variety uh, that you can play with, and you can go to parts of the pale that fit with what you uh, want to explore. I, I would even suggest that this implies there's frontiers of the pale, uh, which is very different than going to the highly bureaucratized, uh, say, capital city um, or these major cities like Catafalque, uh, or even the locations where we'll discuss uh, that. If there may be you, you could have a pale. A scenario that takes you to a very urban environment with all of these rules, but you could also go out to a frontier like uh, principality for the pale and where, where, where law is very loose, um, but also the backup of having the th- authorities to enforce that law is likely not present. Uh, and the, you can have stories about that lawlessness among ghosts. So, what you're and saying what
0: is you could just have a game of invisible sun that is deadwood set in the pale.
1: Uh, yeah, I think you could you could absolutely do that. <laughs> uh, more so and, and it's hinted but not uh, in the game uh, Wraith the Oblivion, everything in, in the um, in the world of, of ghosts, the shadow um, is uh, something that has been destroyed in our world. Okay. So a building that's fallen over in our world may actually be standing in the other world. Is it's sort of its representation in in uh, their ghostly realm? Um, it's not. It's not stated here that everything in the pale is something that is destroyed somewhere else. Um, however, there are hints that things that have been destroyed in other worlds may appear here, and we'll have an example of that later. Uh, so one thing you can do with these themes of endings is that a location that has ended. In uh, our world or in some other fantastical world might appear in the pale in a ruined form. And that opens up all sorts of possibilities for locations uh, from urban locations of buildings that have burned down to these frontier locations where a town that's abandoned in our world or in some other world appears in the pale and is then populated by ghosts. But we do have some specific locations. Uh, the first of which d- d- described in uh, Teratology is the Deathember Orphanage. Uh, this reminded me a lot of the movie, The Orphanage. I believe that's an early Guillermo de Toro movie. Uh, that's one I have not seen. Or I think I hope I'm not confusing that with a different movie. I'll maybe look this up and correct myself as I often do um, if I find out that I'm wrong. But I uh, No, no. Uh, the Orphanage is a different movie. He did a movie called um, The Death anyway he did a movie about a ghost or uh, a ghost in an orphanage <laughs> and he hasn't done so many movies that you won't be able to figure out which one it is from his early uh, uh, work um, but it, I, the orphanage is a different movie a different horror movie about an orphanage um, but uh, it's a very good movie um, and uh, it, it gives you the sense of an abandoned kind of uh, uh, orphanage uh, in this case uh, populated with a ghost and there's a ghost story to be told about it. And so that tone really comes through the D- December orphanage. Uh, it plays on the notion that uh, children who die also become ghosts, uh, but once they're ghosts, they don't age. So the orphanage becomes this place for children but it could be a place for children for decades because these children will never grow up to become adults and leave. Some will leave anyway, but they won't necessarily be forced out because there isn't a natural aging process. It is overseen by a zealot named Matron Um, And you can you know, it could be both an interesting location just for its nature as being this location where the ghosts of children are. Um, if a child is killed and you need to... to uh, like get information from them. This might be where you would go, um, or they may. You just may know of children that have been killed, possibly long ago, that have this information. Um, and, but there's, and there's story potential built into what happens. What is it like to be a child ghost for decades and decades and decades? Because you know our psychology is not built around the notion of remaining children for forty years. So you yeah. almost have a Peter Pan
0: sort of story yeah i guess would the would the kids ever like, grow out of the immaturity of being children even though they never grow up
1: right even if their ghostly forms don't age um are they still learning and developing personality as we would think of uh the maturing process for ourselves and uh, being trapped in children's bodies that's a, a theme is that's uh in uh interview with the vampire for instance mm-hmm. uh with vampires being kind of locked into an age and that can be Devastating to someone who is uh, locked in a, in, a, in a young age, but then themse- they themselves grow uh, psychologically and their you know, personality develops, but their body stays this age. Uh, it may affect how people treat them, uh, but it also limits kind of their their cap- capabilities in a variety of, of domains. Yeah. Uh, so just interesting. This is a location at which you can play with those themes uh, within the pale sun. The uh, second location is the Garbling Wastes. Uh, This is what I foreshadowed earlier. It was a grand city somewhere that has been destroyed. And the ruins of the city now reside in the pale. And there's acres upon acres of skeletal rubble. Uh, You can take what you want, whether skeletal here is more or less metaphorical. You could say that the rubble of, of, of wood and stone is the skeleton of this grand dead city. Or you could say literally the rubble is made of bones because the city itself kind of decayed into bones. That uh, reminds me of something from, I think it's the first arc in Doom Patrol we talked about a long time ago, where there was a city and it was drawn so that almost all of the city looked like it was built out of bones. Yeah, that's vaguely familiar. That was so long ago. <laughs> uh, so that, that, might, that might be a place to go for visual inspiration uh, but there's again there's story potential kind of built in because the, the garbling wastes seems to call to some ghosts who feel compelled to go to the uh, this ru- the this set of ruins and either look for something in those ruins or attempt to rebuild um, the, the kind of glory uh, the so called city of glory in the garbling wastes so you could play with the building part and say, oh, the, there's some, some magic that's bringing people in to rebuild the city. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. Maybe it's impossible. But why is there something pulling people in to build or construct something? Uh, you might even have an antagonist who's trying to co op that process. They want to build something. Mm-hmm. So, but they, don't have, they can't do it themselves. And if you don't have your own labor force, maybe you can somehow twist this curse of the pale Uh, In a way that the uh, spirits attracted to the garbling wastes build your city or your building or your device for you out of the ruins of the city of glory. Or it could be that there's something that was at the city of glory destroyed in its fall that uh, is now present buried in the garbling wastes and you need to excavate it somehow. So think Indiana Jones um, and uh, the, the original Indiana Jones movie uh, and the excavation uh, trying to find, oh, well, there's you know this room that's actually a map. And so you have to find the room and decipher the map, which tells you where in the ruins to go to find this ancient artifact or something along those lines that was itself an artifact of the city of glory, but has now been transported to the pale uh, when that
0: city was destroyed. And the whole time you're in there, you're being lulled into staying there forever. And there's snakes. It always has to be snakes. snakes.
1: Ghost snakes. Yes. (laughs) It has to be. Yeah. In this case, you're uh, artistically compelled to make it ghost snakes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The last of the locations in uh, the in uh, the in teratology. Is uh, the Sanemdric Spa and Resort. And this is probably the most accessible location for most campaigns because it's a location that's built around visitation. So it is designed to help ease the transition of people who've recently died, but it's also a host location for people visiting the Pale. There's even an event that gives you an excuse to, to direct people to this spa and resort called the Selenial Ball. Um, it, it is a ritual to sort of design, uh, to mark the passage of time. but for storytelling purposes, it's useful as just an excuse to say, oh are, you need to go meet someone at the selenial ball or um, you need to take part in a ritual at the selenial ball just to give them a reason to go to the pale without saying just you know just go to the pale. It's a specific location there that has these organized events that you can hook into for your own storytelling.
0: A specific location that also has a temporal aspect that might be important. Yes. You you want to uh, elaborate on that? Uh, I was just trying to remember what it meant that the selenial ball is designed to mark the passage of time. Do you recall what that means?
1: Well, I imagine in the pale... It is very hard to even notice time passing. Yeah. uh, Because time is something that we usually mark out in part because of our own mortality. So when you're dealing with spirits, you're dealing with entities that typically don't care much about time. There isn't a, but you could definitely kind of amplify the importance of the passage of time because this might be the only location, this might be the only location with a clock in a very literal interpretation but it might also be something like having its own version of a ritualistic sunrise and sunset if the pale which is you know it would kind of fit with the aesthetics of the setting does not itself have sunrise and sunset
0: i think it would also be something that you know th- this is a place that's supposed to help uh, the, the transition for the recently deceased Mm -hmm. Uh, also help with uh, the living, you know, deal with, you know, this transition. Um, So if this is a ceremony that's designed to mark the passage of time, you know, once you're dead, perhaps that there's some sort of disconnect between, you know, what you perceived of as the passage of time and what you now experience, which might just be, you know, a stagnation where you currently are, like time doesn't matter anymore. Uh, So it might not be something that you notice or think about, but maybe part of the transition that this is helping you with is, you know, marking like time is moving on. Things are continuing to progress forward. And at this ball, we celebrate it and we appreciate it and we understand that it still happens.
1: Yeah, And one place you can go for this is the movie Coco. Haven't seen that. Where um, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, Coco is a Pixar movie uh, that focuses on the uh, the Day of the Dead, mm-hmm. and it takes place sort of across our world and the world of the dead. And it the central theme is about memory and the relationship that we have to our ancestors and how important memory of our ancestors is, uh, especially a holiday that commemorates. Uh, and and gives us an occasion to remember our um, our relative our, our our ancestors, and so you could use that as as a basis to talk about well, what is what is this marking of time? Well, maybe it's about memory. Maybe it's about the relationship between the pale and indigo, or the rest of the actuality. And this is the time when people do come to honor their uh, their ancestors, um, or is this time for their ancestors to check in on what's going on with uh, their descendants, or something along those lines? But I think Coco might be a, a fun place to get inspiration. It's also not you know grimdark. It is um, a Pixar family movie mm-hmm. uh, and shows how you can deal with some of these themes in a lighter, but but not you know, trivial way. It still t- respects these important uh, aspects of our lives, uh, but does so in a way that just isn't grimdark and, you know, everything looks like a, a death metal cover or something like that. Um, you know, there's, it, in fact, the Semnendric Spawn Resort is is referred to as having a garden, I believe, that uh, has or, ornate dead flowers. Um, so it could be, co- you know, this this could be a colorful place. It doesn't have to be a, a completely... Uh, a, black and white sort of uh, Turascaria shadowy area. Uh, but from this, I think we can draw a variety of lessons from the descriptions of these pale locations, uh, one of which we've already talked about, which is that you know, ending here does not mean finality, uh, as, as you mentioned. Um, endings are just the ending of a cycle. Uh, in some ways, this, there's a relationship then between the Pale and the Gold Sun. The Gold Sun is transformation and renewal. This is what takes place before that. This is the slow decay and entropy that sets in um, before something is renewed or regenerated or any, any of those kinds, which makes me wonder whether there might be connections directly between the Pale and the Gold Sun that can be fun to play with.
0: Well, it's interesting that um, you know this is a transition. It's uh, you know the decay, the decay and transition from one state to another, and then the next sun is the red sun, which is you know absolute destruction, and then we get right, into so this renewal. Is,
1: right. So it's almost two paths to the red sun. Is one way I can think of it thematically. Two paths to the, is the gold that, sun. I'm sorry. Th- yes, two paths to the gold sun with the red sun being the, dist- the path that is is dist- where something is actively destroyed and the pale sun is where something decays uh both of them do lead to renewal uh, at the end of the path in the gold sun
0: yeah yeah maybe uh, if there it- were different uh different ways that magic flowed one way from indigo might go straight through red and into gold skipping pale completely
1: it could um, or you could have different paths from from red to gold and from pale directly to gold, mm-hmm. bypassing red. Um, and you could play with that thematically uh, based on different currents. Yeah, that's a cool idea. I'm attracted to this notion the sun is ruled by bureaucracy because that's what I both live in and study every day. Uh, yeah. uh, so, uh, so playing with surreal notions of bureaucracy is uh, attractive to me. Um, though not necessarily as attractive to my players. So I, I have to keep that in mind.
0: Oh, I can't wait to go to the Pale Sun and then just, you know, hand out reams of paper and forms that my players have to fill out. <laughs>
1: that might sound better when spoken out loud than it is when you actually do it, but we'll, you'll have to tell us how that goes once this, once you have uh, uh, done that in your game.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Um, they're skipping over to the Red Sun next, so it's going to be a little while before they get to Pale.
1: Yeah. Some things in terms of the the theme of bureaucracy that I think would be fun to emphasize uh, are that uh, one of the natures of bureaucracy is it's supposed to operate irrespective of who is in the positions of, of authority in the bureaucracy. So everyone's just a teller and they can be replaced by another teller, no problem. And so you could kind of play with that where Every time someone, your, your party goes to negotiate some uh, maybe entrance or uh, exit from the sun, or every time they go to negotiate access to some point in the pale sun, they might go to the same office in the same window and see someone different every time.
0: Could be the same name, <laughs> could be the same person, but it's always somebody else.
1: Yes. And I think that's how you make it surreal is you actually have them give them the same name, maybe even have them dress mostly the same way, mm-hmm. but it's very clearly a different spirit. And they act the same way. They may even deny there's any difference. More likely, they deny the relevance of any difference. I am a real uh, but person. It, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a spirit like everyone else. I don't know what you mean. What What do you mean? The, the whole notion of uh, you being here a week ago is itself indigo thinking. You are in the pale now.
0: <laughs> have you heard of the uh, robocalls that are like outsourced to another country, but they use um, essentially soundboards with, you know, lines spoken in an American accent? Um, I-, I probably have experienced them. I've experienced things that that sounds like. Uh, I think it was Reply All or some other podcast did an investigation into this uh, because like someone who's getting calls and... They would ask questions like, uh, is, is this an automated call? And it would respond with like a very strange response like, oh, haha, no, I I am a real person. Or, oh, yes. no, I you're talking to a person.
1: Oh, I've definitely said, I've definitely uh, had that experience because I will try to call out and, you know, it, it, either say a robocall or automated call or something like that. And we'll get these sorts of responses that are very clearly recorded. Yeah. Uh, one thing I learned from one of my bosses several years ago is uh, in dealing with automated calls or in, in, in his case, he was trying to make sure of about people's uh, English comprehension because this was about a, admissions to a graduate program. Mm-hmm. He, would ask, he would sometimes ask nonsense questions like the words literally don't add up to any meaning. Huh. And the right answer would be, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it it, it, uh, it probably was for someone. on. And uh, I have been on some of those uh, uh, interviews where he would ask a question that makes makes no sense. And you can tell when a person's been overcoached because they respond exactly the same way to that question as they do every other question. Hmm. And they just have these programmed responses that are vague enough to reply to most questions. Um, whereas – People who were clearly conversant would stop. They, they, you know, their eyebrow would go up, or they would they would react a little bit like, I, "I'm I'm sorry, I, I'm not sure I understand the question," <laughs> and then he would smile and ask a direct question that was interpretable and, and had meaning, and everything would proceed normally. Uh, so sometimes I'll do that with with robocalls, and you can imagine how that might work with a bureaucracy. That um, you just start. You just say nonsensical things. And since bureaucracy is based on classification, making sure you know, that the person in front of them has to be classified as category A or B or whatever, if the the nonsense defies classification, the whole system begins to break down. Uh, and that that could be a fun theme to play with. There's a lot to do with bureaucracy. Maybe I should... Uh, Maybe maybe we'll add this to the list. In fact, I'll go add this to our official list of segment ideas to just talk about surreal bureaucracy.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Um, and then we should watch Brazil and Beetlejuice and 1984. And hmm, I'm sure there are more. Oh Oh, there are many. Yeah.
1: This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from Drive RPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at IncantationsPodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter.
0: And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, It really helps us out. Uh, We also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and help people find us.